We're looking in the book of Ephesians, chapter number four today, as we're making our way through this chapter in a sermon series entitled Army of One. We are called to be a united front against an enemy, and that enemy is a spiritual enemy, not a physical enemy. It's not a modern nation, it's an ancient kingdom. It is the kingdom of Satan. It is the devil himself and the demonic forces that follow after him who attack God and attack God's people. And we now are referred to, the people of God, as the church of God globally. And we, as the family of God or the church of God, are to stand unified against the attacks of Satan. Today's sermon is the second in four weeks of a sermon series entitled Army of One. You're not in the fight alone. Now, I must say this about this sermon. This sermon falls in the middle of a four-week sermon series, but this sermon itself is really the first part of a two-part sermon. What I mean by that is, though it falls in a four-week series, this sermon and next week's sermon are two sides of the same coin. I just can't preach at all in one sermon, or you'll never be able to go home and eat your hot dogs, okay? So, if you're here for this sermon, please understand, it's going to feel a little bit like, okay, where is this going? And it's going to next week. So you do not want to miss July 11th for the second part of this sermon, which is also the third part of this four-week sermon series. Today we're covering verses 11 through verse 16. 11 through verse 16 in a sermon entitled, Alone in a Big Church. Over the last uh, several years, since the days that Ronasia first came to the church, uh, our church has grown tremendously, um, exponentially. Many more people coming to the church, which no good Christian could argue is a bad thing because that means more and more souls are coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Don't you think it's a good thing when people come to know Jesus as Savior? If you do, say amen. People are getting saved and baptized and discipled and growing in their faith, and small groups are flourishing and disciples are being made. Yet the more this takes place, the more churches grow, and the more this local church has grown from one service to two services to three services, new facility to three services over a multiple span and a Korean service and another campus, and it continues to grow. But sometimes we may feel all alone in a big church, especially if we're new to that church, especially if our personality tends toward introversion, especially if in our lives we don't feel the necessity to get out of our shell and reach those around us. Sometimes we feel absolutely alone. Not only in life, we feel alone in the battle that we face against the devil and his demonic forces. We feel alone when we face great tragedy and trial. We do not feel part of the community. We do not feel part of the army of God as we ought. We even go to church, and maybe some of you might be feeling this even in this moment. You go to church, and even there you feel all alone. And in Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 16, we'll discuss, and then verses 17 through following next week, will conclude the thought of how to battle this concept in your own heart. Look at what it says. And he himself gave some apostles. Gave, gave. Do you remember last week's passage talked about Jesus Christ getting gifts and giving them to his people? Here he's giving. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers 
for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to the perfect man, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine and the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things into he, who he, him, who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the whole body for the edifying of itself in love. We're gonna break down this passage and study each part. Let us pray. Father, we come to you today absolutely in need of hearing from your word. We're grateful, yes. We're thankful, Lord, for the church you've given us. We're thankful for this country you've allowed us to be in today. We're thankful, Father, for the friends that we surround ourselves with even now. But God, now we beg you, we throw ourselves at your mercy, we throw ourselves before your throne and ask, would you teach us through the power of your Holy Spirit an understanding of your holy word so that we can become your holy people? Now, God, I pray that you would fill me with your power and your word so that I can speak to your people. Cleanse us now, fill us, and allow us to see truth. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Last week, we learned that Jesus is our captain, and he defeated the enemy. Everybody thought that Jesus had been defeated when he was crucified and buried. Satan and his forces shouted in victory. The world that hated Christ thought he was done, but this was all part of Jesus' plan. When he was buried, he actually was defeating sin, death, grave, and hell. We talked about that last week. He conquered death, and he plundered hell, and he secured all things. Look at what it says as you look in your text. Look at what it says. Don't you remember verse 10? It says, he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all things, that he might fulfill all things. And what did he do other than grab the gifts or the plundering and treasure of hell, and bring them back to his own citizenry. This is what we learned last week. He is now bringing the spoils of war to his citizens, his family, and he gives these gifts, these spiritual gifts unto his church. You and I receive these gifts. Now, you can study so much about these gifts in Romans chapter 12, spiritual gifts. You can study more about these gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the spiritual gifts. But you can also study about these gifts right here in Ephesians chapter 4. But in Ephesians chapter 4, we see that each and every one of the Christians are not only given gifts to edify the body. The Bible here says that we are gifts to the body. Look at what these gifts are. Look at verses 11 and 12. Apostles and prophets and evangelists, and pastors, and teachers, they are the gifts to the church. Wait a second, Pastor Josh, are you telling me that you're God's gift to the church? (laughs) Well, yes, I am. And so are you. Listen to me, so are you. We are not just gifted to help the church, we are the gifts to the church. And this is what the scripture goes on to teach us. Now, I want us to say the main thought for the sermon to get it firmly grasped in our mind. I am a gift. 
you're a gift. Say it with me. I'm a gift. You're a gift. Say it again. Say it again. I'm a gift. You're a gift. Say it one more time. I'm a gift. You're a gift. Now, I want you to say just the last part. Say it. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I'm glad you acknowledge the Bible is true. Hallelujah and amen. Now that I've been drafted into this army, now that I'm part of the family of God, now that I'm inside of the church and part of the church, having been rescued by Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, what do I now do? And today's passage answers that question. First and foremost, we see that the apostle tells us that we need to learn from our spiritual leaders. That's the first point in today's sermon. Number one, you're to learn from your spiritual leaders. If God has given you the gift of spiritual leaders, then you should not reject the gift of spiritual leaders. I was probably 10 years old when I was at a birthday party, maybe 11 or 12, and I remember a little boy, I was at his birthday party and he had received a present from his grandmother and it was a Jurassic Park themed birthday party. There is no better birthday party than a Jurassic Park themed birthday party. And as he opened up that gift, he noticed it was Alan, Dr. Alan Grant and his, his, his uh, the figure of Dr. Alan Grant. And I looked at him like, that's awesome. And I'll never forget, he took that gift and he said, Grandma, did you give this to me? She said, yes. So proud that she figured out Jurassic Park was what Jurassic Park was. And he said, I already have this one and he threw it on the ground. (gasps) How messed up is that? His grandmother walked over and slapped. No, that's not what I would have been. What a funny part of this. It's bad, I don't condone, but kid's a brat. Isn't it terrible not to accept and respect the gifts that God gives us? Look at what it says in verse 11 and 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles. God, Jesus Christ, battled hell to gather gifts to give you. What are these gifts that he battled hell to give you? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Why does God give you these spiritual leaders? Here's why. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. God has given you these spiritual leaders to equip you to do the ministry of the kingdom of Christ. There's a big misunderstanding as it relates to ministry today. There's a big misunderstanding in Christian mindset that you are to be simply ministered to by guys like me and women like Heather. That's not what the Word of God says. People like Heather and myself are to equip you to minister to one another. This is what the scripture is saying. It's our job to do just that. Now it goes on. For, why do, why do we do this? Why are we to do this? For the edifying of the body of Christ. The word edify means to build one another up. The reason we are gifted and are given these gifts is not to build ourselves up, is to build up the units, the body. Now we're gonna come back to that thought a little later in in point number two. So don't lose the idea. Why are we receiving these gifts? Here's why we receive these gifts. Not to build up me, but to build up we. So is it really important that you take advantage and learn from your spiritual leaders? 
You know, some Christians falsely assume because they've been gifted by Christ that they have no need for apostolic authority. They have no need for prophetic encouragement. They think to themselves, I don't need evangelistic training. I don't need pastoral care. I don't need Bible teaching in my life because I've received Jesus Christ as my savior already. I already have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So this whole church thing that you all do, I don't need any of that because I already got all I need in Jesus. And you could not be further from what the Bible actually teaches. You are, okay, this might be offensive, here it comes. It's not the last offensive thing I'm gonna say today. Here it is, you are sadly mistaken. You are dead wrong. You are ignoring the gifts that God has given you by ignoring the spiritual leaders that God has given you. Three weeks ago, my wife and I and our family were on a family trip across the country doing a road trip and we stopped in Minneapolis, Minnesota and went to a church. Oh, really? Really? Yeah, there we go. Minneapolis went to a church that I always wanted to uh, visit, Bethlehem Baptist Church, and, and uh, the, uh, the church that I visited there uh, with my wife and my children, we came in, and it's so weird. It really is so weird to go to church when you're normally the guy getting up every week yelling at everybody. It's so weird to be the guy getting yelled at, you know what I mean? And so I remember we came down, and my wife likes to sit you know, near the back, right? We don't have to have you raise your hands if you're those folks. We know who you are. You're back there. I'm the kind of guy that wants to sit right up front, you know what I mean? And so we always compromise right near the middle. We sat right over here, and, and, uh, and I remember sitting there in church, and the guy got up to preach, and uh, man, as he preached, or as the music was going, I was being stirred to use my gifts for the church. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh dear God, I'm praying, you know, Lord, if they call up a, a testimony, that's going to be me, Lord. I got to <laughs> say something. You know what I mean? And as the, as the worship music turned into time of prayer, God began to touch my heart about my gifts and how my gifts were there to be ministering to the church. And, and I sat there and the preaching went on and every time he said something, then I'm like, oh man, that's so good. I'm like, hey, amen. You know, it was a quieter church actually than ours is sometimes. And, and I was like, amen, you know, and, and I didn't wanna embarrass myself. And you know what was really good for me? What was really good for me is to sit back and allow the gift of apostolic biblical teaching to come into my life. It was so good for me to hear the prophetic word of God in my life. It was so good for me to put my arm around my wife and be encouraged in evangelistic training in my life, to hear pastoral counsel in my life, to hear biblical teaching in my life. That was so good for me. I walked out so encouraged. I gotta tell you. I don't understand how it is that some Christians today genuinely feel like, I got Jesus, so I don't need church. Guess what? If you've got Jesus, you need church. And if you don't feel you need the church, I question whether or not you ever got Jesus. 
You may be so backslidden in your unholy state that you get to a place where you think, I just don't need the local church any longer and nothing could be further from the truth. Let me just be very blunt about what we've seen nationwide when it comes to COVID and the 18 months since some Christians have not returned to church. Early on, the excuses were very valid and now Christians are just back slid in. Oh, but what about this new thing that came up? Oh yeah, next month there'll be another thing. And the month after that, another. And before you know it, a year and a half turns to two years, turns to three, turns to five. And you don't go to church, not because you have a good excuse. You don't go to church because you have Jesus and you don't need God's gifts anymore. So what is this passage? Why am I preaching this to you? You showed up. (laughs) For two reasons. Number one, God may have brought you back today and you're a bit of a prodigal and you've been thinking the wrong thing. You need to repent of that wrong thinking and get right with God and be here every week. Amen. Number two, you do have family and friends who you can lovingly share that message with. Number one, learn from your spiritual leaders. Number two, allow Jesus to grow you allow Jesus to grow you. Look at what Ephesians chapter four, verse 13 goes on to say. Why does he go to hell, or why does he, excuse me, battle hell so he can bring back these gifts and give them to his people, his church, his citizenry? Here's why. So that Jesus Christ can grow us to become more like him. Look at verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to be the perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The point of God's gifting you and the point of God gifting to you within the local church community is so that you can mature and grow to the fullness of Christ. Look, it talks about it. So that we can mature in unity, so that we can all be one army following Christ, so that we can have the knowledge of the Son of God. This means doctrine, to understand the teachings of the Word of God. This is why God has done this, to become the perfect man. Now, uh, how many of you say, man, I've been trying to be the perfect man. It's not working, amen? How many of you say, Pastor, I'm a lady, I've been looking for the perfect man, and I can't, I can't find, okay. What it means here, it means the complete man. It means the mature man. The best concept is, means the grown-up man. The grown-up. Say, Pastor, once again, I'm looking for a grown-up man, amen, who's mature. This is what it's talking about. And how mature is he supposed to become? She, how, how mature is she supposed to become? Here it is, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christians are to grow to the point where they are like Jesus. Grow up, mature, spiritually, until you start looking like Jesus. Look at this photograph. It's a photograph of myself and my son and another guy. We're out fishing in Montana. Can anybody tell which one is my son? Anybody? Anybody tell? Anybody guess? If you can guess which one my son is, raise your hand. Even if you don't, you can probably tell. Why? Everybody says he looks like a little mini-me. Why? Because God has blessed him with a genetic code (laughs) that is so, you know? You know what I mean. He's a little mini-me. Okay, here's the question. Here's the question. When people see him, they see me. Here's the question. When people see you, do they see Jesus? 
Some Christians, and it's, tr- it's been true in my life, some Christians resemble more of the Pharisees than they do of Jesus. Constantly condemning everybody other than themselves. Some Christians They reflect more the lifestyle of the prodigal son than they do of Jesus Christ, constantly running from God, walking into sin. The question is, are you growing to reflect the person of Jesus Christ? It goes on. Allow Jesus to grow you. Do people see you and then see Jesus? Look at verse 14, it goes on. That we should no longer be children. Notice the terminology. I'm I'm just walking through the passage and explaining exactly what it says. It it goes on to say, it says that we should no longer be children. The, The terminology here is about maturity. We're supposed to be grown up. Have you ever heard somebody say, grow up? That's what the Apostle Paul is saying to the Ephesians. Grow up. You say, that's offensive. Oh, it doesn't nearly get as offensive as verse 17 next week. Verse 17 next week is one of the most offensive verses in all of the Bible. And if you don't like being bored, you need to be here next week because you will not be bored, trust me. He says, grow up, and he goes on. He goes on, look at what it says. The, the, that we should no longer be children, taught. what are children like? They're tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Have you ever seen somebody a Christian who seems to be all over the place with no stability as it relates to what they believe, as it relates to who they are as an individual, they don't know what to believe because they're not mature. They don't know what doctrine is because they have not been properly educated spiritually. They're carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. They get tricked. They're gullible. This is true of Christians. Now, what's about to happen here, let me preface this. What's about to happen here is a pastor sharing with you a list of ways modern Christians are gullible. Some of these ways, you're gonna be like, man, I'm glad you got that one. And some of them, you're gonna be like, hey! And here's why, here's why. Because you may have been tricked in modern thinking that is not biblical. And it's my job to stir you up into remember what is biblical and what is not biblical. If you're ready for the pastor to be the pastor, say amen. Well, here it goes, let's try. I am amazed how gullible Christians can be. In the last 10 years, some of us were tricked into believing all sorts of strange things. In the last 10 years, there have been Christians who have been tricked into believing that certain politicians are actually Christian simply because they've been coached to say religious phrases. You were tricked. It's okay to be tricked as long as you're tricked and then say, oh, I guess I was wrong. A follower of Jesus looks like a follower of Jesus, lives like a follower of Jesus, acts like a follower of Jesus. So I don't think I agree with that. Of course not. Of course you don't agree with that because you were tricked. Do you understand? Okay. Number two, I'm amazed in the last 10 years how so many of us were tricked into believing that governments, governments always tell the truth and can be trusted. Now, now hear me. Some of us actually believe this. You've been tricked. 
that they don't require the constant oversight and involvement from the citizenry. They do require oversight. They do require constant involvement from the citizenry. To not believe this means you've been duped. You've been duped. In the last 10 years, I've been shocked as some of us were tricked into believing that homosexuality is not a sin. We've been tricked into believing this simply because some of us have loved ones and friends who identify in a lifestyle that is sinful and because we feel like we want to be quote unquote compassionate, we change what we believe and what the Bible teaches to fit our feelings rather than the facts. We're being duped, tricked, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by every crafty cunningness and trickery of men. You say, well, how do I keep from being tricked? Well, a moment ago it tells you that you have gifts that help you with this. Apostolic authority, prophetic word, um, teachers, preachers, pastors, evangelists. Do you see the context? Boy, man, Paul can be surely offensive, can't he? Some of us in the last 10 years in America, even believers, have been tricked into believing that gender is fluid. That a man can be a woman and a woman could be a man regardless. I filled out several forms yesterday for a traveling, uh, traveling in the future and, and, and the amount of possible genders has, has, has multiplied. I'm not trying to be funny, don't laugh. Why? Because our world is crazy. By the way, the Bible never says the world would not be crazy. In fact, the Bible makes it very clear that Gentiles think like Gentiles. The problem is not that Gentiles think like Gentiles. The problem is that Christians are starting to think like Gentiles. I've been surprised over the last few years how some of us were tricked into believing that vigilante violence is the only way to secure justice. This happened twice in the last 12 months. Last summer during the riots, where certain Christians were saying there's a right for anger and it's absolutely right to go out and destroy property and hurt things. No, 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 that's never right, that's never Christian. I'm not talking about those who would protest peacefully. I'm talking about those who took vigilante violence and tried to secure justice. It happened also on January 6th, where those who felt it was right with vigilante violence to overtake or attempt to overtake the government. And there were Christians who stood back and said, no, no, they have a right, they have a right. No, they don't. No, they don't. I'm not talking about those who are peacefully protesting or those who were there in either case. That's absolutely allowed and right. But vigilante violence is not found in scripture. Some might say, well, what about the United States of America? Weren't we built on revolution? No, no, read your history. I don't know even why we call it the Revolutionary War when in reality it was a war for independence. And when you study the original documents, especially that of the Declaration of Independence, it was very clear they were establishing a government before they ever attacked in war. That is allowable in the Christian worldview and the Christian mindset. For those who think it was just a bloody 
uh, revolution, you need to study the difference between the American War for Independence and the French Revolution. You'll see the difference. No. But again, the point being, Christians, you and I, even I, all of us, we've been duped into thinking stupid things that aren't true because we spend 12 hours a week listening to media and one hour a week at Bible study. Thinking that vigilante violence is the only way to secure justice. You say, my thinking has been wrong in some of these areas, then repent. And stop listening so much to the people that are unbiblical. Over the last 10 years, I've been surprised by some of us were tricked into believing that all religions are ultimately the same, and following Jesus is one of many ways to eternal life. There are Christians who, there are people that believe in Jesus who actually have come to the position that, well, there are many ways to God, even though Jesus said he is the only way to heaven. The only way to heaven. See, that's just backward thinking. No, that's biblical thinking. I've been shocked over the last 10 years that some have been tricked into believing that church attendance is really optional and you'll maintain a strong walk with Christ apart from your local church. That's because you don't know your Bible that you believe this. I've been shocked over the last 10 years that some have been tricked into believing that Bitcoin was a good investment. I'm just kidding, I'm kidding about, it's a little humor, very little. It's a joke, people, it's a joke. Now look, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. It's not my goal. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings if you identify as a liberal socialist. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings if you identify as a Christian nationalist. I'm a Christian who loves his country. But when you elevate your Christianity along at the same level of your nationality, it's called idolatry. I'm not trying to offend you or make, hurt your feelings if you identify as a homosexual. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings if you identify as a trans person. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings if you identify as a revolutionary. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings if you identify as a religious pluralist or simply a moderate Christian. What I'm trying to do is confront your error and bring you back into alignment with what the Bible actually teaches. Stop believing everything you hear. You say, well, how do I know the difference between right and wrong? How do I know the difference between truth and error? That's a really good question. We have a book that shows us the difference between right and wrong. And in the context of this passage, you have been given gifts, apostolic authority, prophetic messaging, evangelistic training, pastoral uh, uh, teaching, and biblical teaching to share and help you understand what this world looks like. That's what it shows us. Now, now, the question is, are you learning from your spiritual leaders and growing more like Christ so that we build unity in the family of God? This is the question. The verse goes on, look what it says in verse 15. But speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in all things. This is what the Bible says. Where does all this lead? That we as Christians should speak the truth but speak it in a loving way. There are some Christians who are so about truth they're divorced of love and nobody will ever hear their truth. There are some Christians that are, so, uh, that, that are so loyal to love, they feel it's loving, to not even share truth. 
And here the Bible brings both truth and love together, just as Jesus was both truth and love incarnate in one. And he says, speak the truth in love so that what? So that we may grow up. Oh, go, go to the passage for those. Well, it's, it should be on the screen. I apologize. Verse 15. Speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. That is, you are becoming slowly more and more like Jesus Christ as you study his word and follow the spiritual leaders that God has given you. This is where we find unity. I love America, I love, I love the United States. I, I love 4th of July, can't help it. Every year I feel like I'm gonna just tone it down a little bit more and I can't help it, it's not gonna happen. I love everything about this country in so many ways. I, if, you, if you wanna know my thoughts on the United States of America, you should read my recent Facebook post that I wrote specifically about how great this country is. I love how this country uh, really does well when every individual is performing its role. When everybody in the United States is doing what they're supposed to be doing, the nation is glorified, it's a beautiful thing. When the military are defending, when the police are protecting, when politicians are representing, when entrepreneurs are building, when the citizenry is participating, when artists are creating, when preachers are preaching, when teachers are educating, when chefs are cooking, when athletes are entertaining, when, 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 when lawyers are staying silent, when all of these things take place together, when all Americans are reflecting the virtues of this great country, we are united in national glory. All that to illustrate this. When all Christians are participating and fulfilling the role that God has given them in their spiritual gift and being a spiritual gift, then the glory is not a national glory, it is a universal, global, spiritual glory that we share. Do you see? That's what he's saying here. It's talking about an army of one. It's not saying that you alone are an army against the world. It's saying that we cannot be an army unless we are unified together in these truths. Learn from your spiritual leaders. Allow Jesus to grow you. And then number three, lastly, communicate with the other members. Communicate with the other members. The scriptures are very clear on this point. Look at what it says in verse 16. It says, from whom the whole body joined and knit together. That is, Jesus makes the whole body fit together perfectly. It is Christ who battled hell. It is Christ who plundered hell. It is Christ who then gives those gifts to the church. And the Bible tells us we're growing up to be like our older brother, Jesus Christ. And from him, the whole body fits together perfectly by what every joint supplies. That is, every part does its part to work together. Like your body has a hand and a foot and a leg and an eye and an ear. And if they're all functioning properly, then the body functions properly. So it is with the church. Look, it goes on. According to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This is so important what I'm about to say. Can you, can you go up back to verse 11 and 12? Do you see what it says in verse 12? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of, of Christ. Do you see that? 
it means this. You have not been gifted to the church and you have not been gifted for the church to edify you. It's not about you. Pastor, give me seven reasons why I should for my own benefit. One of the difficult things for the Western, when I mean Western, I mean the Western of the globe. I'm talking about American mindset. One of the difficult things for the American preacher to do to an American audience is to compel them to do that which is right for the whole rather than the you. Because we, as Americans, don't think in terms of us. We think in terms of me. Pastor, give me seven reasons why I ought to do this and how it's going to benefit me. That's not what the passage does. It gives you seven reasons why you ought to do thus because it benefits us. Us. This is a we passage, not a me passage. You say, well, why would I care about us if it's not me? The answer is us, we, are the body of Christ. And so when we are strong, when we communicate properly, when we function with one another, we together are able to give glory and honor back to Jesus Christ. Now, why do I mean the word communicate? Here's why. Because the body that doesn't properly communicate to itself is sporadic and all over the place. We do a lot of marriage counseling, a lot of marriage counseling. And in our marriage counseling, we found that there are five basic problems that arise in every marriage. In-laws, can I get an amen? All right. Children, (laughs) finances, sexual intimacy, and communication. Of these five, we've noticed that communication is the common thread among all of them. Either a lack of communication about one of these, either a miscommunication, or maybe under-communication. It's just not a lot of it. Do you know what the Bible says of the body? We ought be communicating and spending time with each other. The more we do so, the more we're able to function as the body of Christ and not so independent from one another. On this Independence Day, I gotta tell you, I am so thankful that the United States is independent of those great lords there in King George, you know, and Britain. I'm glad we're independent. But I gotta tell you, I hope you're not independent of the body of Christ. What this passage teaches us is that strength comes in the unity with the brethren in the body of Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and the truths you've given us here. Lord, we realize how strong we are when we stand together and how weak we are when we are divided. I pray that the church would be unified and that we would follow your truths, that we would study from your word and that we would take advantage of the gifts that you've given us to edify others, to edify ourselves, that we would build up one another, that this would not be about me, but this would be about we, Father, that all of us would follow our spiritual leaders and grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we enter the second part of the sermon next week, help us to see the dangers
of thinking like a Gentile rather than thinking like Christ. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.